edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Lupold. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. So, last week, we started a series on demons and ideology and how that demonic ideology is real and affecting our culture today. And so I want to hopefully finish this first section that just looks at what does the Bible have to say about demons? Now, last episode, we looked at what they were, how they were understood to, to be uh, spiritual beings, uh, how the Greeks kind of understood them to be, and what they did, how they functioned in Scripture. Uh, we looked at how they can affect people physically, causing blindness, and seizures, and fits, and aggression, things like that. Uh, we looked a little bit about how they can influence people to act a certain way. Judas betraying Jesus, uh, filling the heart of Ananias to lie about his gift that he was giving, or to cause David to number the people and disobey God. We looked at how demons or the demonic can influence generations and cultures. We looked at the prince of Persia in, in Daniel chapter 10. Um, so what I want to do now is just kind of look at how they're associated with idolatry and, in some sense, ideas, beliefs. So in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 15 through 17, we see here the Song of Moses. So this is what he, he writes and records before he dies. And in one section of the song, he talks about... Jeshurun. And here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So, a clear connection between uh, sacrificing to demons, to these strange gods that Israel was worshiping, and they, they should not have done so. We also see in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, so fast forward to the New Testament, here's what it says, and this is regarding the locusts and, and all these plagues that are supposed to happen upon the world. And here's what it says in verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Okay, so again, association of idols with demons, both in the Old Testament and the New we also have in the Psalms, in Psalm 106, this is what it says. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. So again, the association of idols and demons. And lastly, it was mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So here in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is talking about um, participation in pagan sacrifices, 
warning the Christians in Corinth not to do this. And here's, here's what he says. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So, it's very strong words. Um, and, and Paul points out here that nothing magical about the food that's offered to the demons. And even the idols themselves, they're not powerful uh, in and of themselves. They're just objects, right? But behind them is the demonic. And of course, the demonic, even though it is, you know, it is powerful in a sense, uh, it's not more powerful than God. And in fact, the demons are under the sovereignty of God and don't have any power over God and the believers. So we have idolatry associated with the demonic. And you also have certain ideas or beliefs or practices associated with the demonic. I already mentioned in the previous episode, uh, I think maybe I mentioned, if not, it's good to go over it again. In Mark chapter 8, and in Matthew 16, by the way, you have um, Jesus rebuking Peter, which is interesting um, because he calls him Satan. And here's what Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33 says. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, it's a very interesting passage because is he suggesting that Peter is Satan? Or that Satan has possessed Peter, kind of like what happened with Judas later on? I mean, probably not. Is Jesus just using a very colorful rhetorical device? I think there's something more to it than just that. He's not just doing it to get a, an effect on Peter and the disciples. But it seems like that there is something associated with what Peter is doing with Satan. And it seems that association is not doing the will of the Father, okay? So disobeying the Father and focusing on very worldly things, not on what God wants us to focus on. And that theme or that way of thinking is, in a sense, of the devil. It is the devil's way of thinking. It is what the devil would want to happen. Furthermore, in Paul's letter to Timothy, we have another concept of, of demons being associated with certain belief systems, certain doctrines or teachings. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe 
and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So again, the idea of teachings of demons, and it's associated here with forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from foods. So there's food laws, and it's anti-marriage. Now, it's not anti-sex, and we'll get to that at a different point. It's not abstinence. Maybe, I mean, it could be. There are some uh, belief systems that are not godly that, that require abstaining from many, many things, basically suggesting that God's creation is evil and that what God ordained in marriage is also evil. So just always remember that the demonic, Satan, hates God and hates God's creation. He hates the things of God, and so that would include institutions of marriage and family. Uh, And he also hates humans because they're made in God's image. He hates the image bearers of God. Um, And he also hates God's creation, all the good things that God has given us. Um, And so there's, there's extremes on both sides, right? The demonic on one side would would want us to whip ourselves and starve ourselves and hurt ourselves and kill ourselves. And then the other extreme side of the demonic would want us to indulge every single sinful desire that we could that we could think of, not deny ourselves anything. Uh, gluttony, just eat as much, anything you want, drunkenness, um, just sexual immorality, just anything, all things belong to you, um, and, 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 you know, you deserve them, and you should have them, um, which is also, by the way, destructive behavior. So there's destructive behavior on both sides that demons want us to partake in, either denying ourselves or indulging ourselves. Um, another passage, Acts chapter 13, verse 10, I may have mentioned this before, when uh, Paul was talking to Elimus the magician, and the magician is opposing the gospel. And Paul says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So the demons make crooked things that are straight. And then I want to go to 1 John chapter 3. Now, 1 John 3 has a lot about the demonic here. Uh, We'll just go with, uh, start with verse 8 through 10. He says this, he says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So that's pretty straightforward, okay? Sin is associated with the demonic. But if you go to 1 John chapter 4, the beginning of that chapter, here's what it says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So you have this concept of the spirits, right? Again, uh, anti-God, anti-Christ, associated with evil, with the demonic. Uh, truth is associated with the Lord. And and falsehood, deception, error is associated with uh, Satan. So that is a just a very quick summary of what power the demons have or what's associated with 
the demonic, and you have a very clear connection between idolatry, uh, the demonic, and certain beliefs and practices and teachings. Now, this makes sense because as Christians, we worship the one true God, and that worship uh, also results in certain beliefs, practices, and teachings. Orthodoxy, right belief, leads to orthopraxy, right behavior, or right acting. And of course, false worship will lead to false beliefs and false acting. It's important to go over here now what power Jesus has over the demons, because I think this is an area that Christians are a little weak in, um, but it's important for us to look at this. So, I'm not going to read all of the passages, but I will say, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, it describes all of the powers and authorities and principalities having been brought into subjection to Christ. So, spoken of in the past tense. Um, now, we would understand that there's also a, a future fulfillment that's going to take place, a final defeat of all of God's enemies. But right now, they have already been brought into subjection. We see this as well in Colossians chapter 1, talking about all authorities, all principalities, and all powers were created by him and for him. So he's above all things, right? And then in Colossians chapter 2, he talks about how all of these principalities and powers were disarmed through the cross, through the crucifixion of Jesus. And so that is where we have Jesus defeating uh, Satan and his kingdom. Uh, a good example of this is found in Luke 11, where Jesus talks about this. And he says, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, and the kingdom of God has come upon you, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted, and divides his spoil. Okay, so there, Jesus is making it very clear. The kingdom of God has come. He's there. He's the king. The kingdom has come. And Satan is the strong man whom Jesus is binding, taking his armor and plundering Satan. And I think this ties into the temptation of Jesus in the Gospels, where Satan offers Jesus the kingdoms. He says, they've all been given to me, and I give them to whom I will. Just worship me, and I give them to you. And of course, Jesus refuses and does not fall for it. But Satan was not lying when he said that he had the power to give the kingdoms, because with the fall of mankind into sin, in a sense, Adam and Eve became slaves, and all of mankind became slaves of the devil. And so the devil, in a sense, had the kingdoms of the earth. They were his. He had stolen them. He had usurped the authority that had been given to Adam, and he had taken it. And Jesus, as the new Adam, takes it back, but not through what is expected, not through giving in to Satan, but through the cross, through dying and resurrection. So we, we definitely have to see here that there's an already and not yet aspect to this, and that Jesus is in authority. I mean, he even says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. Um, that's the Great Commission, right? So all authority in heaven and on earth. This is spiritual and earthly authority has been given to Jesus. That's why he can be called 
the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. It's not just flowery language. It means something. It absolutely means something. So what does this mean for us today? Well, let me give you a list of things that you can see from Scripture are true concerning Christians and their relationship to demons. So, for example, demons can be stopped from speaking. Mark chapter 1, verse 34. Demons can be cast out. Mark 3, 15. The demons are afraid of God. James 2, 19. They flee when they are resisted by God's people. James 4, 7. They cannot withstand prayer. Mark 9, 29. They cannot separate believers from Christ. Romans 8, 31-39. They cannot defeat the church and the gospel. Matthew 16, verses 13-18. through 18. Remember that one where Jesus tells Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates being a defensive structure. And the church is the one that's going out into the world to, in a sense, conquer it spiritually. The demons are able to resist false faith. Now, that's Acts 19, 13 through 16, because that's the situation with the sons of Sceva, where they try to cast out the demons. They say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I cast you out. And the demons laugh at them because they just think it's some kind of magical formula. Uh, and the demons say, well, I, I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And then they, they, then they beat up uh, the guys that are trying to cast them out. So... We see their false faith does not impress the demons at all, uh, only true faith. Um, and they are fought with spiritual weapons, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18, that's the armor of God, right? And they can be defeated through a battle of ideas, that's 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, where Paul says that the weapons of our warfare is not like the world. We capture strongholds and take every thought captive, bringing it into subjection to Christ. So... There is this concept of words and ideas and debate and discussion. And, and what we're doing is our ideas, the ideas of the gospel, the good news, uh, is conquering the false gospels and the false news in the world. So how can we apply this all today? How do we kind of work with this in our lives? Well, I think we need to understand that, that demons manifest themselves in wicked thoughts and teachings. They're real. They are spiritual, so unseen creatures. They're minions of Satan, fallen angels, rebellious against God, and they can have a physical effect on a person who's being influenced or uh, attacked or even possessed by these demons. There is a physical, spiritual connection. And there's some mystery here. A good example would be, why is it, and this is kind of a rhetorical question, why is it that in the ancient world, demonic activity and idolatrous worship, which, by the way, are related, they were always associated with some kind of um, a drug-induced trance. Um, so even the pagans, they would go into these drug-induced um, ecstatic frenzies, um, whether it was through drinking or smoking something, but it was always associated with that, that by doing this to your mind, you were more attuned to receiving spiritual guidance and insight. We see this also in the modern world. There were philosophers that felt that if they went into some kind of drug-induced state, they would be able to, I don't know, tap into truth 
tap into some kind of reality that would give them insight and wisdom. And I think the same is true today. I think a lot of people, I mean, are they're doing drugs for escaping, but there's something about drugs and what they do to the mind. And why is it that when people are under the influence of drugs, they're not thinking nice things. They're thinking dark things. They're experiencing dark things. And I've heard some very crazy stories about it, but it's never it's never nice, loving, fruitful things. It's very destructive and mind-destroying things. Anyways, there's a connection to the physical and the spiritual, and demons can manifest themselves through that. Of course, we know that they're motivated by hatred of mankind and of Christ. So they hate God and God's image. They want to destroy the image of God. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, that involves work, creation, and life. Steal, take away from work, kill, and destroy. Uh, kill life and destroy God's creation. So there's an all-encompassing aspect to that. And again, uh, they want to be objects of idolatry and worship. Even though physical idols are nothing, they do represent something demonic. Uh, the demons sit behind the earthly powers. There are the elemental spirits of the world that Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 8 mentions. And there's a connection to the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, let me finish up here by looking at some common errors and common beliefs that even sometimes Christians have that they really ought not to have. So the first common error or belief is that there's a demon behind every shrub. Everything is demonic. Everything. You know, demon of this, demon of that. And I didn't get that parking space. Oh, it's a demon that hindered me. Um, and I, I think that's fairly rare in our culture, but I've heard some Christians talk like that. And the problem with that way of thinking is that it ends up being an excuse for sin and, and blame shifting. It's actually not different than when, than when Eve mentioned to God, you know, the serpent did this and I ate. Uh, so she sinned and then her response was to blame Satan. Adam blamed the woman and blamed God and Eve blamed the serpent. So any attempt to just shift all responsibility to the demonic is doing the same thing that Eve did. So we don't want to do that. That doesn't mean that, that there aren't demons and they don't have influence, but their, their impact is more on false teaching and false practice through humans and involving people, not so much random objects lying around or things like that. So, and if we, if we blame the demonic for everything, it diminishes the fact that, that there are real material issues. People do get sick. Not all... Not all sicknesses and illnesses, even even at the time of Jesus, were demonic. Yes, there were um, demonic encounters, such as the boy who would go into a seizure and threw himself into the fire, into the water. It, you know, so there's a physical thing going on there that to us would look like, oh, he's just got seizures. He he just has whatever this problem is. Just needs a drug, but. The demonic was influencing and affecting that boy physically. But, for example, the woman with the issue of blood, there's nothing associated with the demonic to her. Uh, it's, it's an illness. It's a sickness that she had. Same thing with, um, I think, Jairus' daughter. She just was sick and died. Or, or certainly Lazarus. 
He just got sick and he died. There's nothing associated with the demonic there. It's not like Lazarus was demonic possessed. He had died. And, and, and that was for a purpose, that Christ would raise him. So we have to keep that in mind, that, that the physical world is still real. And there are, uh, you know, that there are things in it that can be and should be addressed through medicine, healing, and, and the typical standard way of doing things. But we can't ignore the fact that there is a demonic realm. But what we can't do is go too far and say everything's demonic. And at the same time, we also can't go the other extreme and say there is no such thing as the demonic. It's all just material. Because if you do that, you ignore the issue of sin, of the flesh, of the devil, of temptations. You try to solve spiritual problems with material solutions. That's not going to work. Um, it kind of minimizes the effect of prayer and fasting. Uh, they're just, you know, people just do those things, but they don't actually have any effect. And it diminishes the role of the church. It's just kind of like a social club. Like there, if we believe that everything is just material, purely material, then it's it's not going to work out very well at all. And the solution will just be drugs, some kind of therapy, you know, things like that. It won't be, it won't be anything um, beyond the physical. Another false belief is the idea that Satan's kingdom is equal to or even more powerful than God's. And you see this a lot in movies and shows where Christians, true believing people, have like no power over the, over the demons. And the demons are, are so powerful and no, no one can stop them. But that's clearly contrary to the teachings of Scripture. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, John Calvin mentions this in his commentary on Ephesians. Here's what, here's what he says. He says, They suppose the devil to be an antagonistic deity whom the righteous God would not subdue without great exertion. For Paul does not ascribe to devils a principality which they seize without the consent and maintain in spite of the opposition of the divine being, but a principality which, as Scripture everywhere asserts, God, in righteous judgment, yields to them over the wicked. The inquiry is not what power they have in opposition to God, but how far they ought to excite our alarm and keep us on our guard. Nor is any countenance here given to the belief that the devil has formed and keeps for himself the middle region of the air. Paul does not assign to them a fixed territory which they can call their own, but merely intimates that they are engaged in hostility and occupy an elevated station. So the point there that John Calvin's making is they don't have their own little kingdom that they've carved out for themselves and that God can't, you know, do anything about. And But essentially, they're under God's authority, and he uses them and allows them to function as he wills. And so um, they are engaged in hostility, but we're not to live in fear of them. We are the ones that have power over them through Christ. So that kind of belief that the, that the devil is equal in power to God or even more powerful than God, that would seek to disarm us through fear, and that advocates for a form of paganism. So paganism um, seeks to compromise with these powers. The pagans view these powers as dangerous and chaotic, which they are, and their only solution from their perspective is either to submit to to placate or please these powers or to manipulate them in some way, to, to use them or trick them uh, against others. 
and uh, that's not what Christians are are to do. So at the end of the day, we need to keep in mind as Christians that demons are weakened. They've been brought into subjection to Christ, not finally destroyed. There will be a final judgment upon them. Um, but Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth, and all those powers are created by him and for him, and they are under him, and they have been disarmed by him. And so we can walk and live in, in light of that, and we ought to. Um, not be afraid of them. Recognize that they exist. Recognize the power they have over the unbeliever. And recognize what they do and what their presence looks like. And then we can act accordingly as Christians. So I hope that you find that helpful. What we'll do next week is look at the pagan worship of of the ancient Near East, of the Canaanites. We'll probably start with the uh, with the, the false god Baal, and we're going to take a look at how the demonic works through that and how Baal worship continues in some sense today. And so until then, if you have any questions, comments, or like me to address other topics related to this, please email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com or go to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can message me, uh, Governed by God, there. Um, and I hope that you shared this episode with a friend, a colleague, co-worker, uh, these are things we, that we certainly need to think about as Christians. Uh, so thank you again for, for tuning in, and until next time, take care and bye.